0: Think of a memory or a dream that you've carried with you for a long time. Now imagine you're going to create an object that represented this dream or memory. How big would it be? What would it be made of? Esther Clark is a Worcester, Massachusetts-based ceramicist who works with memories, dreams, and the enduring life of objects. If you're not familiar with Esther's work, I recommend visiting her at esterclarkceramics.com before listening to our conversation. Welcome to The Root Cellar. like to thank you for inviting me to your studio and i appreciate that it's nice to see your work in person and how how do you define your work or how do you see your work
1: it's really difficult well like my greatest inspiration is clay as like a functional vessel that kind of like helped society get to where it is like in ancient times they needed something to carry water to be able to move away from the rivers and like have more safety at night or like vessels to like hold seeds so that they could start agriculture and like society could really boom but I think of what I do as like oh I guess like an abstraction of that like I like to keep in mind its root but really push it to be something that didn't exist before like with My bottles, which is what I primarily make, I like them to be, like, kind of impossible little creations. Uh, Making something exist that wouldn't, like, be able to exist any other way. But, like, clay is cool because you can make literally anything.
0: Yeah, talk, talk to me more about impossible... Um, I like that. That's Tell me more about that.
1: Well, it's hard without like a visual thing in front of me. But um, a lot of times I am working with like kind of balancing it as I go because a lot of the shapes that I make wouldn't like just normally stand up. Okay. So the curvature and the distribution of weight is really important to make things vitrify into like the correct balance, I guess.
0: It sounds like the need for balance and for it to be able to stand up is... Is shapes how it evolves when you're yes. creating it yeah when you're starting do you how where do you come from from a starting place
1: i like to start with like a really basic sketch okay. so just like a five second sketch of like what do i want to make and then from there i like to see like where my inspiration came from that like made that image exist so like get a strong concept so that i can like tweak The actual sketch to, like, represent the ideas that I have in the concept, if that makes sense. Okay, I think so. And then from there, I need to think about, like, what's feasible in clay. But I don't think about that part that much. If I want to make this, I'm going to make it happen. Usually just, like, a little five-minute doodle becomes a huge bottle.
0: Are these ideas that come to you from Um, reflection or...?
1: I think... A lot of it is like rooted in history and like nature, but then also I have like a big nostalgia influence, I guess. Childhood and memories and things like that are like a big thing that I like to reflect on.
0: Is that in terms of ceramics that you encountered in childhood or more personal biography?
1: Personal biography. As far as ceramics from the past, I guess... For me, I like to think about like the first time I was ever introduced to ceramics and like that is always something I keep in mind when I make things now because I think about how like fortunate I am to be able to create anything I want, where for such a long period of pretty much anybody's ceramic life, it's really limiting. Like you can only do it at school or like um, if you happen to have a class in college or if you're taking a major in it, you can only do it like on the campus. You don't really have full access to make anything exist until you decide to go like totally independent with it.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I'd like to take a step back, actually, to the first time you encountered ceramics. Could you you tell me about that experience?
1: Of course. Uh, I remember it very vividly. I lived in South Florida, and I was in first grade. I went to a school called Tradewinds Elementary, and it had a really funny shape, I guess. It was like a really rectangular school. But in Florida, the buildings are a lot different than New England. They're kind of concrete or like stucco or something. And it had these big triangles and circles and squiggles and purple, yellow, and white all over it. Like it it looked like a theme park. And um, inside had like these really big halls with shiny floors and we always had to walk down the hall with our hands behind our back and our finger pressed up against our lips like a little shush (laughs) and I remember going into the art room that day and the art room was my favorite room in the whole school because they kept it really cold and Florida was really hot so it had that going for it but she had a bunch of um like the teacher had a bunch of different prints on the walls and like huge drying racks and a big shiny cylindrical shape in the back corner, which I came to know as the kiln. So one day she has these little gray balls uh, sitting at every workspace and we're all like, what What could this possibly be? It looks like junk, like dirt from outside. <laughs> And she tells us we're going to make it into like something that you can keep forever. And the way it was introduced to me was something like I could never give up again. Like she just made it seem like this was something that you could take this like wet thing that's nothing and make something that will like outlast you. So she had us make like basic pinch pots. And I remember getting really like carried away with it. Like the other kids are like taking the clay and like throwing it. And, and they don't really have in in mind, like, what they want to make. But I was thinking, like, this is my chance. I can make something forever. And I made, like, a pinch pot that was kind of squared off. And I remember taking, like, any tool that I could find around, which weren't legitimate ceramics tools, but like a pencil or um, a pen cap to make a little texture in it. Yeah. And she came by, and she was amazed that I was not only making a shape, but, like, adding texture to it. And... I actually still have that piece at my parents' house. They use it in their bathroom, but it's a little uh, pinch pot with yellow and blue because my family's Brazilian, yellow, blue, and green, with little textured points, but I'll never forget it.
0: That's great. How did you feel when when it was finally done?
1: I'm amazed. It felt like magic and I wanted to do it again, but you can't give kids balls of clay every day. <laughs> right,
0: right. How long was it before you were able to do it again?
1: Um, I think periodically throughout school we would have quick... Actually, I don't think it was until high school. Because I switched schools a lot. So, I mean, the, the next memory I have of it was in high school and getting crazy into it. Just... Only wanting to do that. Like I wouldn't have to take all the regular classes. Instead, I could take these free periods where I just did that. But I can't really think of in between. It was a weird time. We like lived in Brazil for a year. It was just like a lot of different things happened.
0: Did you think about ceramics that whole time off and on? Or was it like you forgot about it and then when you got to high school and it opened up as a possibility again, you you reconnected?
1: Well, I still made other art like drawing or painting. Like I remember winning like a lot of like contests for art when I was a kid, like decorate an Easter egg. Best egg wins $500. I was always on top of that stuff. But I um, always had a, a pit in my stomach, a desire to just be doing ceramics because I felt like that was the real thing. Even though I didn't get the opportunity to do it much in its like actual form, but I, I would buy, like, Sculpey or, like, find recipes for, like, homemade clay, which is not clay. It's dough. <laughs> um, and, like, try to, like, bake them in the oven. Like, replicate that experience at home. But it was never – I mean, it wasn't the real thing. So I couldn't, like, really make anything. But I tried.
0: <laughs> that sounds amazingly odd, the baking the dough option. That those. <laughs> Does it rot? I mean,
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we had like a book with um from the library that we would get almost every week, and it had like a hundred and one crafts for kids or something. Okay, and one of them had a recipe for like flour, salt, water, and it would make a dough. And I think it reminded me of. Ceramics when I was using it or something.
0: Okay. Because okay. my
1: mind it immediately went to like, how could I make this last forever? <laughs> and we tried to bake it um, into like the shapes that we would make. I would try to make a pinch pot with flour and water and salt. And it it wouldn't it wouldn't come out the way that you'd expect. Okay. I mean, it would come out the way that you would expect as an adult. <laughs> But not as a child
0: didn't didn't reach expectations or hopes.
1: No, and we did taste it, and it was very bad. Uh, <laughs> not even edible. Not
0: even edible. That's sad. That must have been. Was that disappointing? I can imagine. Oh yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that like kind of pushed me to the arts and crafts store mm. to like trying to get my parents to buy Sculpey, or air dry clay, and things like that. But it's just not the same. It's completely different. That stuff is like plastic, whereas clay is like, I don't know, totally different. It's just wet.
0: You've mentioned a couple of times this idea of forever, yes. uh, something lasting forever, and, and also ceramics across time and their use in time. Is there a particular era of ceramics that you're really drawn to?
1: I... I am not as versed in art history as you would expect me to be with my love for history. But I don't have like a certain time period that influences me, except for the time period before we have like records, I guess. Okay. That's what I like best. Like going to a museum and seeing something that has like a whole date range. This could be from 872 to like one thousand. Like something where you don't really know where it came from. Um, And I like things that were like functional for like different aspects of society, whether they're like for cooking or for like decoration inside of like a really primitive hut or for a ritual, a a crazy statue that someone in power had. Mm -hmm. But I don't have specific artists or time periods because I like it from that whole range of shadow history i guess
0: it's interesting you bring up rit- ritual I've, one of the things i you do is uh, effigies mm-hmm. i love them they're they're beautiful and i'd i'd really like to know more about that how did you start doing that
1: so i think of an effigy as something that again transcends time you see them from every time period every type of artist wants to make a human form in one way or another something that's ingrained into us as people to want to like replicate people, I guess. And I I love the really old effigies that you would see in art history exhibit. Something from ancient Aztecs or like really old African art. I, I like the bottom floor at the MFA, you know. Um, and I always noticed these tiny little sculptures that said so much more than like the giant sculpture in the room. And I had like the opportunity to take part in like an art fair and I wanted to have a big number of things and effigies were just like the natural choice because they feel like a sketch. Like you don't have to pre-draw everyone I can let it kind of become whatever it wants. Mm -hmm. But I don't have like a specific use for them. Like I feel like everybody should be able to use them the way they want. Like if they want an effigy to be like small decoration on a bookshelf or if they want it, as a personal like memory of a person that they can like hold close, or um, they can use it with um, other art to make a, a decorated scene. I don't like to place any kind of religious um, or like spiritual aspect or spiritual like theme on them or anything. It's just a raw sketch of a human form basically
0: do you make your effigies on commission or like do you make specific ones for i haven't you haven't okay
1: just made whatever comes to mind like I'll, I'll start with a a roughly um like i don't weigh the clay out or anything i'll just like start with a piece of clay that's kind of like all of the other pieces of clay and then start molding like the basic shape and carving away what i feel like shouldn't be there and then getting it to stand
0: Getting it to stand—that's a—that's a recurring theme here. Yes. <laughs> yes. Very good. You do do some commission work that I've—I've I've noticed. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: I'll take on pretty much any challenge as long as somebody's open to it being through my lens. Like if somebody wants a really special bowl, I'm happy to make it, and I'm happy to give them like my interpretation of what that would be. I don't like to do things that are um, completely not something that I would do. If that makes sense, like I, I could technically make like a, a replicate of something that you really liked and wanted, but I would rather make that replicate through my own filter. If that mm-hmm. makes sense.
0: That does make sense, and I'm wondering: is that is that a negotiation, or do most people get that from the start when you're?
1: When yeah. You're- I mean, I've only had, I've only been like kind of networking myself for a few months. Before that, I was just doing this all in private. I was in uh, community studios for a while, but I would basically make things and keep them and not show them to anybody because I hated the internet. But after my last collection, I like just felt this urge to share it with people. Let's see where that goes.
0: Where has that gone so far?
1: Further than I imagined, really. Uh, it definitely helped like motivate me to push myself harder, which was something that I didn't expect to happen. Right after I like started sharing things online, I had ended my membership at the studio because it was really expensive for me. But I felt like I can't just stop now. Like I showed people this and they liked it. So I want to show them what else I can do. But um, I didn't want to like sign up for like a monthly membership again. So instead I like researched ways to do it at home. I bought a box of clay, like drove out to Sheffield. It's like two hours away, bought a box of clay, came back home, like looked up how to make my own fire pit, made a fire pit, um, from like rocks at home Depot, like hand carrying them myself up, up the backyard. And then after I made that, I was like, well, like, I have to have a space to, like, actually make these things in. So I looked at the shed, and it was a dark, dingy, like, moldy shed. And I thought about the potential in it. I knew it wasn't, like, the best way to go. Like, I could just use my dark, dingy, moldy basement. But um, I wanted, like, a separate space where, like, I wasn't getting, like, clay dust all over things. or mm. like, wasn't creating, like, a fire hazard with like a kiln, like, in the house. Um So, like, just knowing that anybody was going to want to look at anything else I made, like, pushed me to turn that shed into an actual studio. And um, that involved, like, getting electricity to it, where I had to hand dig a trench from my house. So, I had to hand dig a trench from my house to the shed, get an electrician out there. And at that point, I just wanted lights.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: I just wanted a table, a work table, like covered in canvas to like soak up some of the dust, some shelving to hold things, and I was going to fire in the fire pit. But then after a lot of reflection, I thought about that feeling from the first time I made ceramics, like that limiting feeling of not being able to do what you really want. And I thought, i if I'm going to do this, I have to go all out. So I went and I got a kiln and I got... Like everything I needed to like stop limiting myself and to just be able to like have a thought at two a.m. and start working on it. Okay. Like, um, but yeah, that, that was all because I got out of my shell and started showing people things.
0: That's interesting. So, how long were you? Uh, did you belong to the community uh, studio?
1: There was a couple different community studios. I went to college for ceramics in 2010 and i dropped out in 2012 and i loved it i love the ceramics part but i didn't like anything else or like the cost and i like just couldn't really afford to like work full time and like pay for an apartment in boston commute there and things like that so it, it didn't work out and at that point i almost like gave up on art hmm. i thought this is something for really rich people to do. You need to have the time to like invest yourself into it like a 100%. And I need to invest myself in like working to pay for bills. So I don't know how I can do both. Yeah. So that's like a, a 19-year-old thinking. Um And I took like a kind of long hiatus from ceramics. I would still do other things like draw little cartoons or like attempt a painting, which I... I'm not the best at. And then in 2016, I believe, I moved out of Rhode Island to Massachusetts in Worcester. And I was looking online because I always had that urge to go back into it. And I saw a ceramic studio called Fireworks. And I Had just gotten my tax return, so I was like, money's not a problem right now. And I called her up and was like, can I prepay for a few months at this studio? And she was like more than happy to take me in. But I was in like the, it was called the rumpus room. It wasn't like the serious people studio where you had your own walls. (laughs) It was like a shared space. Okay. And I was there for a while, um, like working on collections whenever I could. So if nobody's watching me, I'll take forever to do something. Like I'll make three bottles and think about the next three for like three months. Okay. And then be like, I need to do this and spend like 12 hours at a time there, like four days in one week before just relaxing for a bunch of months and then jumping back in. So the the only major collection that I made while I was there for like two years was, uh, deep sea artifacts it's like a seafoam blue Mm -hmm. collection but i was there for a little bit until the landlord wanted to double the rent Um, so we had to leave i was at fireworks until we basically got kicked out of there then i took a few months off because i didn't think it was possible to find another one but then my friend actually got me like one month membership at another studio that I didn't even know about. And that was the start of all of this. So that was pretty recent. I think it was in January. Oh, of okay. Of 2020 maybe. No, I don't know. It's <laughs> but it was pretty recent.
0: Tough with the pandemic, isn't it? Who knows what, what's yeah. happened time wise. Of Yeah. Were you able to go, speaking of the pandemic, were you able to go and do work during that period? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Uh, we would just wear masks in the studio. Oh. But usually nobody else was there, so I would just do whatever I wanted.
0: Was that a very... Was it a solitary experience? Was there a conversation between artists? And how was that?
1: I have the tendency to make it one. Like, I would go when nobody else was there, like, really late at night or... If I had an extra day off during the week, I would do it during that day off in the week instead of like on weekends, because I don't really like big crowds. I do like talking to people, just not when I'm like necessarily trying to make something.
0: made a comment earlier that if you're not watched, you move at a different pace than if you're watched, but then you're also kind of making a comment about finding times to be there when I'm assuming you're not watched. (laughs) Tell me more about that dynamic.
1: Um, well, what I like was referring to mostly in that is that like now that I'm showing my work to Mm -hmm. people and getting it out there and sharing it, I feel like I'm working at like a very accelerated pace compared to if I wasn't sharing it to anybody, like it probably would have taken me, I don't know, um, six months to like have finished My last collection, Blemishes and Humor, but I was able to do it like in four months on my own time, like knowing that I wanted to get that out there for people to look at it. So it's like a time pressure that I kind of create knowing that there's a potential audience for it. Whereas if I didn't have that pressure, I would just let it ride out forever and kind of procrastinate until I have the idea 110%. Before even starting work on it, if that makes sense.
0: Mm, yes, that does make sense. Do you find that it's helpful if you reflect till you have the idea 110? Is that is that very helpful? Do you enter the work in a very confident place, or does it does it actually stifle you?
1: It stifles me. It's kind of. I think it's kind of a it's a motivation problem. If nobody is watching, you're more likely to think like, oh, I don't want to like get myself like really messy and be in the studio for 12 hours today. I could just like sit back, call a friend, cook a dinner, you know, relax. It's procrastination, like 100, 100% procrastination. But I think that kind of helped what I was trying to make as well, because when I was going to make it, it meant that I really, really, really want to make it. At that exact time, like it's like a huge urge to do it, something that I couldn't ignore, basically.
0: Okay, I can see that. Are there times then when you're working in this accelerated way? I guess I'm. I guess there's times when you're going out to work when you'd rather make a dinner, um, or when you might, in the past, be tempted to make the dinner.
1: Yes, I've. At this time, I just think about it like all day. I think about it like on my morning commute, think about it on my way home. I think about it if I'm not doing it or if I am doing it when I'm going like trying to go to bed, I'll be thinking about the next thing I want to do. So I think this really helped um, kind of let me embrace those feelings and put that as a priority in my life right now because I never really had the opportunity to do it before. I think the place that I was in before with the procrastination was because I felt stifled. Even if I could go into that space and start making something, I wasn't going to be able to go there whenever I wanted. I'd have to like clean up after working, so it wouldn't be able to be in like a work in progress state. I wouldn't be able to modify the shelving so that I could make something at whatever height I wanted. And like all of those little stressors just caused me to take things a lot slower. Whereas now I feel like if I think about something, I can just do it.
0: I was going to ask how, how your process has changed now that you have your your studio here. I think we've opened that door. Yes. Yes. So now you are, have kind of a freedom to stop at any place, change things around as you need to do them. And that makes you want to do it more, makes you less Stifled. That's a good word. I like that word. Good choice.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I I feel like the door like finally opened because I had to open that door of that grow shed by myself and make it into like a space that I wanted to be in. But I think doing that or like even just sharing things and talking to people instead of just doing it all in private and keeping everything in my head has completely changed the game for me. I feel like for the first time, I'm actually taking steps in art that I wanted to, getting to the root of these ideas and making things bigger and just a bigger variety of things than I would have normally done before. But it feels like what I was always doing, if that makes sense.
0: That does make sense. All paths have led here. Yes. Do you have a sense of where the path goes from here?
1: It's taking a lot of different directions already. I like to think in like collections, I guess. So I finished up my last big collection. And then I'm working on a piece for a show that I'm doing like in mid-October. That really big piece in the studio, the white one with the rooms in it. So that's like my next really big focus. I still have to make a stand for that, put that together, and then get it to the show, which is supposed to have a book that comes out after with it, oh, okay. which I'm really excited about. And then I'm working on a collaboration with another um, independent business, which I haven't really talked to anybody about yet because we're keeping it on the down low until we like release it. Uh, but we're working together to bring out a new collection there, and then, on the like conceptual art level, I want to make deep sea artifacts too. So like a revisit of that collection that took me two years initially, mm-hmm. and revisit it with those limitations being gone.
0: How did that come about, deep sea artifacts?
1: I've always loved nature documentaries. And some of my favorite ones were the ones where they're, like, deep diving into the ocean. And I, like, also really loved Titanic as a kid. We had, like, the VHS uh, set. We would watch it a lot. And my favorite part was uh, in the beginning and in the middle and end. Like, it's kind of a recurring thing when they're doing the actual dive to the Titanic, which I know is probably fake, but I thought it was real. Um, And they're showing, like, all of the deteriorating items just being taken over by the ocean with lichens growing or like little trails of I'm not even sure what it is but like sea matter and like that kind of like mossy like full look on things like kind of shimmering in the water and I wanted to make a collection that had those forms really flowing and I wanted the surfaces to look a little bit deteriorating but in a really delicate way like a shipwreck
0: that's really interesting earlier you were talking a lot about objects that last forever and and this has a sense of decay to it and vanishing over time that's interesting
1: but it's still a permanent thing that will last forever that just looks like it's decaying which i like
0: ah okay
1: like a uh, spoiled relics, The one that inspired me to make the studio and share it and everything. That one was about imagining an ancestor in your bloodline that was a village potter. Or for you, it would be a storyteller, like a keeper of events. Um, like somebody in a village hundreds of years ago, uh, tying your family name and you as a person to this imagined person and thinking that like the reason that you do things now is because it's ingrained in you so I wanted to make a collection that spoke to that like if I really was just like if I had a knack for pottery because it was like in my blood um what would that person who was like in my blood have made if and like what would it look like if I found it today that's when I made um, like those decaying little face bottles, like the really cracked white glaze. Yeah. Or like that sandy crater glaze um, with the creepy shapes and the creepy faces. That was speaking to what I would imagine like the most primal like essence of what I wanted to get out there was, which would tie to what the ancestor was like something that. Like, is, like it feels like it's beyond you. Like, you're making it because you have to, if that makes sense. Yeah. But then representing um, age with, like, all of the new technology that we have. So if that potter was alive today, they would be able to do things like that they weren't able to do back then. So I wanted to, like, play with the fact that, like, now we do have, like, so many more opportunities. And I can make this look like an ancient artifact, even though it's new.
0: Mm. Well, that's interesting. Thank you for telling me about that. I'd like to ask you about collaborations. Is your current collaboration, is that your first collaboration? Or have you collaborated before?
1: I think I've collaborated with things like loosely, like quick things, but never anything big and serious. But this is going to be a really big project.
0: I know you don't want to talk specifics, but I'm curious about how collaboration has impacted your process.
1: Well, this is different than things that I normally make. So the the collaboration that I'm doing is functional. So they're objects for a specific purpose, uh, and they're tailored to the specific object that the other person makes. So it's a little bit different than what I would normally do because normally, like, functions lasting on my mind. There are so many, like, potters out there who are amazing, like, perfect at making functional wear, like, things for your table. So I don't want to be in that space. I want to be in the, like, why did you make that space almost? <laughs> um, like objects that exist to exist, but not necessarily for you. So this collaboration is kind of pushing me to make things that you would want to use, which is really cool. And I've loved, like, just having someone to bounce ideas off of. I'm a really, like, I guess auditory Like, thinker, like, I have to say something out loud for it to exist. And having someone who wants to do that with me has really helped. Like, we've been able to take this to a place where I would have never imagined it would go.
0: As I was coming into your studio, I saw the piece that you're currently working on, which uh, um, at a glance to me appeared to be a very large piece. Uh, a white sort of spear upside down, maybe, or maybe like an upside down apple shape almost to me. I got a glance as I was coming in. So forgive me if I misrepresented it, um, with houses in the side. Uh, what's going on with that? Tell me about that. Okay. Uh, uh, I did I, I describe it terribly wrong with my quick glance?
1: Oh no, it, it's, it's whatever you see really for the shape on the exterior. So you okay. got that. Um, that is kind of like a, a big big story. So that starts with what I spoke about earlier, like when I went to when I went to school for ceramics. The last thing I did there was something that I was like most proud of. It was this huge thing. And it was incorporating what I was really into at the time, which was um, bottlenecks doing different things than what they would normally do. So It was a a large piece, a little bit smaller than the piece that I made now. Um, And it had these kind of tubes, like a bottleneck. Instead of going on the outside, it would go on the inside and, like, create a cave and then come up through the center. And it was all hand-carved. But I was really irresponsible. And when I left school, I was living in a place where Like, a lot of different people live there, and somebody knocked it over because I didn't really take care of it. I never got to finish it, so I never glazed it because I had, like, the idea to do, like, a deteriorating glaze, which I couldn't figure out how to do yet. So I just put it off until somebody broke it, and now it doesn't exist. And I barely have any kind of record of it. There might be, like, a couple pictures that exist out there like floating around. but I don't have them. Mm. So... When I got the opportunity to have a piece in a show, I was like thinking this piece up for years. I was thinking about how I missed it and wish that it existed still and wish that I finished it. Um, It felt like a natural choice to like go with my new interpretation of that. My new interpretation of that is still like a big rough shape on the outside. And this new piece uh, I'm calling remembering places because it's about remembering like actual locations from your memories or your dreams, which that piece kind of is to me, if that makes sense. Like that piece was a place, Mm. Um, but it's also representing those places like a room that you remember going in when you were a kid, like your best friend's bedroom. You can't really remember it uh, perfectly. Like you wouldn't be able to like sit down and draw it if you you were asked. Most people wouldn't. I know that I couldn't. Yeah. But I can still remember its essence in my head. Like I can remember um, like sitting on the bed. I can remember like a weird shag carpet or like a couple pictures that were on the wall or general layout. But this piece was about like speaking to those places, not the whole memory, just the actual location where they take place. So it's a rough shape on the outside. And then the inside has these um, like brightly colored rooms with really like kind of minimal pieces inside of the rooms. Like one of them has a couch and a frame to make you think of like a living room from like the first house you grew up in. Or one of them has bunk beds, which I remember, like, peering over the side and, like, bothering my sister all night. Uh, one of them has, uh, like, these crystal um, kind of spires or stalagmites uh, to make you think about, like, those dreams or those dreams that I've had of, like, like icy caves um, that are, like, sparkling and you don't know what's going on. But they each have, like, a little object that represents a different memory of a place
0: are they all you mentioned memories and dreams are they all memories or are some of them also dreams
1: um some are dreams so i think those places are almost the same in in my head like it's hard to distinguish like which place from your past like was actually there so because sometimes like we modify those really old memories like memories from when you're five So, um, it's kind of a mix of both. I want the person looking at it to think of both of those places kind of identically. Like there are places, um, like in your head that you can't really tell me all the details about.
0: Is there something about giving the memories and the dreams or, or transforming them into a physical object? that's key here for you? Or is, is it something else?
1: Uh, well, I think that that's what drew me to ceramics, the ability to do that, to make something permanent. Right. Like we spoke about in the beginning. So I didn't really think about that, but I think there's a very, uh, high chance. That that's why I wanted to make a little bunk bed, but, um, for me, it's it's mostly about trying to evoke those feelings in other people. So I'll have this like really strong concept. And I think a way that I can bring other people to like that memory place or to remember a location that they, they would normally not think about is putting like a TV cabinet because people don't have those anymore. Yeah. You're only going to remember that from like your parents' house in the 90s. Um, so was, like trying to find little items that like make you think about that place without me saying hey think about places that you can't remember perfectly that are fuzzy you know it's like trying to suggest an idea without being too like i don't want to write on it